The city of Richmond becoming a prime target for gun violence. Richmond. The city of Richmond was known as one of the most dangerous cities in the Bay Area, if not the country. This is the For Our Future Podcast. Let's keep Richmond moving forward. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the FOF Podcast. If you're rejoining us, thank you very much for your continued support. If you're new to the channel, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, tonight, I am super duper excited to have this guest on the FOF party in the FOF building. I am automatically a fan. So before we introduce her, I'm gonna do what we always do is introduce our regular panel. Oh, not so regular today, actually. I am Jay, AKA Johnny Longdays, AKA Anatomist Iguana. Now, to my right, our usual producer. Now, tonight, our host, we have the lovely Leslie. How you doing, Leslie? Hey, what's up, everybody? Super excited to be on the show today. My first time on the show, and... How do you feel behind the mic? Um, you know, I've missed it. It's been a minute since I've been on the mic, so I'm um, happy to be here. Good. We're happy to have you, as always. And we have our regular, our pillar of the show, of the show I would say, Miss Diana. How you doing, Diana? Hey. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm super excited to have Leslie with us and one of our guests. This is especially a treat for me because I love meeting women in combat sports. So, oh, yeah. you know, a li little, a little teaser, but um, why don't you pass it on to our guest today here? Okay. So tonight we have 2008 Olympian. She is the head instructor at her judo dojo and we'll definitely get into that she'll explain more what she does how she got there i can't wait to do this i myself was was raised in a house full of women so i'm super excited and super stoked to have this going on especially since the last day of, uh, last day of march which is women's month so hey. with no further ado we have miss sayaka tora Thank hey guys, Sayaka. thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy to have you. Happy to have you. Now, Sayaka, let's start with just a formal greeting, I guess. So maybe could you explain to the to the crew out there, to the viewers, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a 2008 Olympian. I've been doing uh, judo since I was five years old and um, have been doing judo at the East Bay Judo Institute which is right in El Cerrito. So we're a local nonprofit judo club. Um, and I'm 38 now, so I started when I was five. That's 33 years of doing judo, pretty much since I can remember. Judo has been a part of my life. I'm actually not the head instructor of East Bay Judo Institute, oh, but I am one of the instructors there um, who we all volunteer our time to teach judo at the dojo. Um, none of us get 
compensated monetarily. Um, we're a nonprofit. I'm also a mom to a three-year-old, so he keeps me on my toes. Um, but yeah, I've been doing judo my whole life and am a real strong advocate for women in martial arts. That's awesome. So actually, can we go back a little bit? Can you explain to everyone what a dojo is? I hear this so much across like multiple uh, martial arts. So like what exactly is a dojo? Yeah, so dojo is a Japanese word for, you know, a school where you learn martial arts. So a dojo could be a karate dojo or judo dojo, but we just kind of refer to it as a dojo. It's easy to say, and it's I guess it's easier than saying judo club. So yeah. if you practice judo, uh, you go to the dojo, practice judo. That's so crazy. I mean, I I you know um, took a few karate classes. I trained Muay Thai for five years and jiu-jitsu for two, and I never knew the definition of a dojo. And just for some reason, it was just always like a place to go practice martial arts. But now I know it's actual. So the, the definition is a place that don't quote me on that okay but... <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> but there is a definition there's a proper definition I didn't there know. is okay, cool. and i didn't look that up before i came but okay. you know you know it's comforting to kind of just say we're going to the dojo mm-hmm. yes. um you know it's easy to pronounce everybody can say it mm-hmm. and it's like a second home to a lot of people who practice martial arts so okay makes sense nice. yeah so what do you love most about the sport like what attracted you to it there had to be some level of like you know um, consistency with that sport so what was it about um judo that got you hooked well i was five when i started and i really um didn't have a choice if i could do judo or not because my dad was the head instructor of east bay judo institute for many years um he recently stepped down within the last few years and kind of passed the baton on to another instructor so uh, my dad was the head instructor of our dojo uh, (laughs) when i was five and he kind of wanted you know one day just was like you're starting judo today i mean i had grown up around the judo Mm -hmm. club and you know had been around and i was like okay not really knowing um but the agreement with not the agreement i guess um the understanding with my dad and um, i was raised by my dad so the understanding was that I was going to do judo until I received my black belt. And for Mm. me, doing judo wasn't really um, a recreational activity. It was more like part of my education Mm. and it wasn't a negotiable activity. Like I had to do judo um, until I got my black belt. And so 10 years later, (laughs) I got my black belt. um, And at that time, I could decide, you know, if I wanted to stay in judo, if I wanted to compete, to just um, practice recreationally. And um, by that time, I had had some minor success, like on the junior level. Um, So there's junior level and senior levels of competition. Um, So I had been a little successful on the junior level and I was like okay well let's just see where this takes me okay. and took me all the way to the Olympics insanely oh, awesome. it was a long it was a long road to get there but yeah. that's kind of the summary of how I ended up where I ended up yeah and just to put things in perspective though I mean she's saying that it took her 10 years to do it I um trained off and on just for two years I never got past it I never got 
any kind of anywhere and that's a, two, a full two years so you i'm sure that you know um it obviously takes a lot of work to to, to get to that to that point the black belt is the highest you can get as far as degrees am i correct so actually interestingly in japanese the word for uh first degree black belt is shodan mm. which means beginning degree so actually what's wow. regarded is when you receive your black belt your first degree there's different degrees of black belt mm -hmm. but when you attain your first degree is when you really begin learning in that sport oh, so <laughs> yeah so you know you everybody thinks like oh black belt like i'm a master now but in essence i mean i still feel like i'm really learning a lot about the sport and developing as a person um i'm a fifth degree black belt right now uh, currently and but you start off at first degree and first degree is really where you begin your learning gotcha that's that's, that's intense what's the highest degree so 10th degree is the highest i think um there's only one person that's attained that who is the founder of judo whose name <sighs> is jigoro kano mm. uh, he invented judo in 1882 and I believe he's the only person that has the 10th degree. Mm -hmm. um, he's passed away, but 10th um, degree is the highest. Um, but there are several individuals who are like 8th degree and 9th degree. Wow. That's crazy. I, I, I love what Sarah put. Sarah Abigail. I'm going to butcher your last name. E Higu? E oh, that's my friend, Abby. <laughs> hey, Abby. So Abby said... Uh, another she gave herself she gave us a definition um, for dojo her definition it seems like and it says and a second home to the parents of those who practice nice I really like that's that my that's my dear really friend dope. she's a parent at the dojo oh I love so, Abby second home <laughs> shout outs to Abby shout outs to Abby she was my doula too so <laughs> okay oh. <laughs> so you guys are really close <laughs> <laughs> you guys are really close really, right? yeah so how would you say it positively influenced and impacted other aspects of your life? Uh, um, I don't even know where to begin because judo has been such a main part of who I am. There really is no identity for me separating my life without judo. And um, I actually wrote a piece that I think um, some of you have read about grit and why grit matters. Mm -hmm. and. Um, that's one of the main things that um, has judo has taught me is that you really learn the true meaning of perseverance. I mean, in the sport, you're getting thrown down to the ground mm -hmm. and you have to constantly get back up. So just the symbolism of getting thrown down to the ground and having to get back up constantly is kind of, a, you know, you can apply that to life. You know, you get knocked down eight times, you get up nine. And um, the sport itself is very challenging physically, but also mentally, um, emotionally, especially as you go through high levels of competition. So you really have to learn um, things like self-respect and courtesy, respect for others, modesty, humility. It's such a humbling sport. Mm -hmm. um, so all those things that I've learned through judo, I've learn to apply them in my life outside of judo on and off the mat most definitely i noticed that actually with a, a lot of fighters the further they like advance in their career the more humble they are about it you know like i don't know it's, it's just a, a certain like aura about them the yeah. more advanced they are just the more they're toned down because they they're secure with themselves they understand 
you know like i know i know the sport or they've been humbled before because when when you're sparring or whatever the case may be there's times where you know you do good in the sparring and there's other times where you don't do good so i guess that plays an aspect of it yeah i, but, I, I get yeah. that a lot too especially we were talking about joe rogan before a lot of his guests are ufc fighters and it always mm-hmm. seems super chill and super mellow and mm-hmm. the exact opposite of what you think somebody would be mm-hmm. knowing everything that they know being yeah. a fifth degree black belt mm-hmm. or or just knowing how to literally just end you <laughs> but they're, they're I don't always, know about that they're all, but they're always <laughs> such nice people you know yeah. like Francis Ngannou right now you fought on Saturday and it's completely I watched that fight he completely he's a I mean he's, he's a monster of a man but when he was on Joe Rogan's podcast he was just he just seemed like just the nicest person in the world yeah. he had been through a lot what D had just said um, he, he definitely he comes from humbling beginnings and you can tell um, that that's that's um, probably helped him out with uh, with maybe his training and stuff. Just being humble and sort of taking it stride by stride. So I get that. Yeah, I think that's the um, kind of the hallmark of a true martial artist to me is not somebody that necessarily needs to strut their stuff and sh- puff out their chest and show, um, you know, that they can beat everybody up or something. I think when people find out that I do judo even in school you know we were talking about you know growing up here in the bay and you know people found out i did judo and they're like oh fight me you know will you throw me to the ground and show me and it's like that's not what judo is about that's not what martial arts are, is about it's about self-control it's learning how to exercise those types of things in the dojo so you don't have to use them in the street you're not trying to pick fights with people it's about it's ultimately about bettering yourself as a person mm-hmm. so that's what we try to teach at EBJI as yeah. well. I think that out of your piece, um, the one that you just mentioned, um, and out of that piece specifically, I think that that's what I, that's definitely the idea that I got. Um, there was a part where you said, or where you wrote that through judo, you learned about having courage and the ability to manage fear and failure. And that one specifically really stuck out to me just because, you know, I think like naturally as people, we are scared and we are scared of failing specifically. Um, and I don't know, I think that that and having the ability to manage that and learn how to manage that is is pretty amazing yeah I mean I'm human and I struggle with that every day I have you know anxieties and since becoming a mom I have new anxieties that I didn't have before Um, so I'm by no means perfect in any way but judo really gave me the opportunity to face my fear like in competition for example you know going out there you train as a group in judo on the mat, you train as a group. Uh, But when you go out to competition, you are out there on your own, kind of similar to if you're in an octagon for UFC or Mm -hmm. um, MMA, or if you're a boxer in a ring, when you get out there, it's you against another person. So it really is testing yourself um, and just seeing what you're made of that day. And it's frightening. I remember being at the Olympic trials and it was the most nerve wracking thing. So Mm -hmm. when people say like they're not nervous, I was like an emotional wreck and it was terrifying. And thinking about it now actually (laughs) makes me nervous because I was telling myself when I was in that situation, I don't ever want to be here. So it's pretty amazing that people like Michael Phelps, you know, these 
people who can Conor McGregor even um, can somehow go to a place where they like that fear right and I think some you know combat sports athletes to an extent enjoy that enjoy putting themselves out there and and testing themselves you know you, you mentioned that that you weren't perfect but there's a view out, out there that I'm sure begs to differ Nate you got your wife here. Uh, I'm sure you beg the different when it comes to her not being perfect. I just wanted to put that out there and hopefully earn you a few points. Happy <laughs> wife, happy life. <laughs> so uh, for the audience that's new to judo, can you talk a little bit about the style that encompasses judo? So is it more like floor work? Is it striking? Like how does it differ from other uh, combat sports? Sure. So judo, um, like I mentioned, uh, evolved from jujitsu, Japanese jujitsu. Um, it was invented in 1882 in Japan um, by Jigoro Kano. And um, I'm not too, honestly, too familiar with other martial arts. I'm very familiar with judo. Judo involves no striking techniques, um, like we don't break bricks or bash boards. Um, there's really no striking in terms of competitive judo. It's grappling where you grab onto your opponent's gi, which is the judo uniform, and you're trying to throw them to the ground. You get points for throwing. And then you can also do mat work, which is kind of um, what people see in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm -hmm. where you have to make progress where you can arm lock. Um, you can only arm lock the elbow joint. You can't do like shoulder locks or ankle locks or anything um, and you can also choke and you can also pin so those are some ways that you can learn to win in a match in judo gotcha so you would say it's more like a like a defensive sport because I, I heard one of my friends does um, jiu-jitsu and she was saying that um, in jiu-jitsu you use like the other person's force right so mm -hmm. judo is like kind of similar in that way it's very similar okay. so um, it's it's using physics essentially mm -hmm. to uh, leverage someone else's strength against themselves. So, for example, if someone's like pushing into you, the idea is like if you push back, it's meeting their force. Mm -hmm. Whereas if instead you pull them while they push, there's a there's a moment where they're off balance, and you can then use that to throw them. So the the theory is that if you're smaller or weaker, you can use that to um, oh, exactly. Interesting. So if you're smaller, like a smaller woman like me, hopefully I'll never be in a situation where I have to use judo outside, but hopefully I'll be able to leverage some of what I already know instinctually in my body if I need to. Yeah. So interesting. Well, I'm sure yeah. it'll be like a, like a quick reflex. Yeah. yeah I'm sure. I hope so. I don't know. I'm getting older, but my reflexes are getting slower. So I actually have this question from Samuel because he was interested in knowing. So uh, competing in a sport like jiu-jitsu, as a woman, I'm sure you face a lot, lots of challenges. Uh, so what's one of the biggest challenges you faced or have you ever, you know, had a hard time because of it? Um, yeah, I've had many challenges. I think when you try to set a goal that's very high, like trying to make the Olympic team, um, there's ups and downs and the higher the goal, um, the more roller coasters of, of emotions and, you know, wins and losses. Um, 
I actually would say one of the biggest challenges for me was not making the 2004 Olympic team. Um, so I graduated in high school in 2001 and I spent the next three years um, basically trying to make the 2004 team. I took uh, three semesters off of college from uh, UC Berkeley and basically gave up my life to try to make that 2004 team. Um, my dad dished out tens of thousands of dollars to help me travel around the world, training partners. You know, when you're when you're training and traveling, there's so many people that come together for you for nothing in return. Um, and so you feel, I felt obligated to them, um, but I didn't end up making that team. That was a real setback for me, disappointing. And since the Olympics are only every four years, um, I basically had to pick myself up and say, all right, I guess we're in it for another four years, which is a long time to commit to something when it's um, so physically, emotionally <laughs> draining and demanding. Wow. Yeah. Um, can I also, since it's um, something that I recently seen on Sports Center or maybe on Instagram, I'm not completely sure. What did you did you receive any different kind of treatment when it when it came to um, you being in the women's in the women's category? I would say let me use this as an example. They had posted or had a news article um, on the NCAA March Madness, and they compared the different gym equipment from men's to women's equipment, and it was ridiculous. I'm talking about women's had maybe uh, set of a max of the 25 pound free weights and the men have full a full gym essentially and you know they have the um the cryogeno lab where they go and they cool down or whatever i'm not sure how that works but they had they had it they had all the bells and the whistles and the women had nothing did you, did you ever go through anything like that in the in the olympics was there any kind of gender um preference or anything like that you know I read some of the questions that you were going to send me and I was thinking about that. And quite honestly, I did not experience a lot of discrimination based on gender or stature or um, not that I could tell. Um, from my experience on the mat, um, women and men, boys and girls, we were all treated pretty much the same. Um, and my dad did a really great job of coaching us um, and holding us all to the same bar. The bar was not lowered in any way for any of us when we traveled. I mean, the girls team kind of, the women's team stuck together and then the men's team kind of stuck together. But there was not any kind of um, insinuation that we were less because we were women or that we did judo when we were women. I never felt like I was lower. Um, than anybody else. I will say though, however, um, I did experience some interesting things happening when I was training outside of the dojo. Um, like if I was lifting weights at 24 hour fitness, people would come up to me and start correcting my form, um, you know, take it upon themselves to kind of be like, oh, this is how you should be doing things. If I don't know if that happens to other guys, but I think being a small Asian woman, you know, they kind of see you and I looked really young. Mm -hmm. I was young. Um, so things like that happen, but nothing, nothing major. I was, I'm, I think being a female in the sport of judo, um, you gain a lot of self-confidence mm -hmm. and I think people respect you yeah. for the work that you put on the mat and, 
um, the results that you put out. And so I don't feel like I was disrespected in any way on the mat. I was going to ask if, if you thought that maybe that was potentially because part of the culture of judo, from what I read from your piece, um, it's also about, I think somewhere in there you put becoming a better person and becoming a better person for society as a whole. And I thought that that was um, kind of like interesting in itself because, you know, like you said, in the gym, there's much opportunity for mansplaining or underestimating you just be for your appearance or, you know, implicit biases that people might have. Um, but I wondered if that was maybe potentially because of the culture of judo and what you guys kind of um, practice. I would hope so. Um, I mean, we've had some people come in and out of our dojo that have been visitors that kind of push that boundary a little bit. Like, I think if people visit, they see a woman on the mat as an instructor and they may make a judgment call like, oh, you know, I don't know what they might think. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of our judo club, East Bay Judo, um, I am one of the few female instructors at our judo club. Um, and the other instructors are male, but I have never felt disrespected by the other instructors. And I know that they have my back and respect me, not because of my gender, um, but because of who I am and um, my accomplishments. They've seen me put in the work. So I think that um, speaks for itself. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And they're speaking for you now. We have Sarah, Gina, obviously <laughs> Nate, Zuki. So they definitely have your back. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, most definitely. I definitely relate to that because in undergrad, I went to UC Davis undergrad. I competed in boxing. I was a 118 division. And I really didn't even like mentioning it to people for like the longest time. Like some people here may not even know because no. <laughs> it's it's really like people it, it's kind of belittling sometimes sometimes people will be like oh that's really cool but then other times people will be like really you mm. no way that there's no way you could and the same thing like oh what you box oh show me some moves show me this and it's like it's kind of I mean, I get it sometimes. They're surprised by it, but it's kind of, like, annoying. So I, I definitely get that. Yeah, I guess I guess yeah. it comes with, like, people that, you know, if, if you're a woman and you're in a combat sport, people, like, I don't know, they, it just interests them because not too many women are a part of combat sports. So I definitely get you. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think... Um I think my experience might have been a little bit different if I were mm -hmm. starting judo as an adult mm -hmm. and going into something that I wasn't really familiar with, um, being a little bit older. Mm -hmm. uh, but since I had done judo for so long, I have done judo for so long, it's just part of, if there's one thing that I'm really comfortable in, it's like being in a gi, being on the mat, mm -hmm. instructing, teaching, working out with kids and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there are challenges, definitely, and I've heard them. And I think it's unfortunate that some women feel scared or they feel like they're discriminated against because they're female. You know, they have a hard time getting partners. No one will work with them. Um, so I think it's really about finding an environment in a judo club, a dojo that'll foster an inclusive environment and not care you know, if you're big, small, man, woman, you know, old, young, um, welcome you and make you feel accepted. You need to find a jo dojo like that. That part. Yeah, most definitely. That part. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you had a, a pretty good support system 
while you were you know going through your, your whole judo journey and even up until now so who would you say were your, your key mentor like in the sport uh, definitely my dad. Mm-hmm. He's been my biggest supporter. Hey, Dad. I don't know if you're listening. <laughs> um, but he was, um, you know, he raised me. He got me in the sport. He uh, was my coach and um, really, you know, paid for everything as well. Um, so he has guided me on and off the mat for my whole life. Um, and he has set the bar really high and um, has high expectations, but I'm glad that he does because, um, you know, there's no reason to aim low when Mm -hmm. you're, when you're shooting for your goals. And when I said to him, you know, I want to try to make the Olympic team never once did he say, you can't do that. I don't believe in you. Um, he's like, well, you better get ready to work (laughs) because it's not going to be an easy road. (laughs) So, um, my dad really helped me out a lot. That's so cool. I, I mean, I, I, I love that coming from um, somebody who didn't have a dad. You know, I, I never had a dad example or anything like that. So it's so cool. And was he a single parent? If you mind me asking. Um, I have a stepmother okay. as well who supported, supported us at home as well. Um, so no, not completely a single dad. But... Um, my main parent that reason. Your main parent. Yeah, that's so cool. He he played that mentorship. Um, I think as a as a grown man now, um, that's kind of our dream is to to sort of guide your your daughter or son, um, to reach their dreams. And speaking of which, I'm sure, you know, after not getting into the two thousand and four Olympics, um, getting into the two thousand and eight Olympics you achieved at least one of your dreams could you sort of let us know what the feeling is like what what it's like to be in one of the most prestigious events in the history of mankind oh and also can you give the audience just like a sample of like what it take what it took to get there kind of like what you did day to day so like walk us through that sure so um when you are an elite athlete in any sport um and you are at a really high level of competition, your life pretty much revolves around that sport and you have to sacrifice a lot in order to achieve your goals. So uh, obviously working out a lot. I did um, two workouts a day usually, um, like in the morning and then in the evening. I usually did some type of judo every single day, like six days a week. Um, Sundays were either just resting or um, sometimes tournaments. So. There was a lot of traveling also involved. So we're traveling to Europe, traveling to Asia, traveling um, around the country for different tournaments, um, making weight. That was a big one, a big stressor for me because my weight class was 48 kilos, which is 106 pounds, which is insane to me that I ever weighed that. Um, So I had to cut weight. Um, I had to train. I was also working about 30 hours a week at... um, uh, part-time job wow. because um, I needed to <laughs> help pay for my rent and my living expenses. So um, day in, day out, it was just like you were a machine. Work, you work, work. go up, you wake up, you do your workout, you go to work, do another workout, go to sleep, wake up, and you repeat. Um, so it's a long road of, in terms of four years of that kind of grind. Yeah. Um, 
And but honestly, that's what it takes because everybody else who is trying to make it to that level, if you're not doing the work, someone else is. And more often than not, if you're not putting in the work, um, you're not going to make it. And even if you are putting in the work, there's no guarantee that you will mm-hmm. either. So you better just, you know, put your put your marbles all in one <laughs> one basket of working hard so you have no regrets and and go for it. Yeah. Oh, that just seems like so intense. And you went to Berkeley too. I didn't know that part. So getting into intense school, working 30 hours a week, training, that's training alone is more than a part-time job. Two days. Yeah, that's insane. So I bet it gave you a lot of structure. Like you, you had to go through the day. It was perfectly planned and you had to like stick to that plan. You couldn't like deviate really much. Yeah, I mean, after I was done competing, I didn't really know how much stress I had been under until I stopped competing. And my last tournament was actually the Olympics in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my last tournament ever. Wow. Um, wow. I hung up my hat after that. But um, yes, essentially, you live and breathe that sport for years. Um, but Fortunately, I was able to make it to the Olympics, which was an incredible experience, Um, surreal. And when I won the Olympic trials, honestly, I felt a lot of relief that Mm, I made it and that I had achieved the goal that I had um, sacrificed so much. And so many other people had sacrificed so much to help me get there as well. What would you say to someone that wants to start judo? So like, let's say a a teenager or like a seven or eight year old that they're interested in it. What would you say? What are the tools you need to be successful? I would say uh, if you are interested, go for it. Uh, There's no um, there's no shame in trying something new and just to see if you like it. And my biggest advice for anything would be consistency. So just show up, show up for practice, show up every practice and just work hard and you will see progress. And I think that's something that you can apply to anything. You know, people want to see results quickly. They want to um, excel fast, um, but progress is slow and it's not linear. There's ups and downs, but over time, you're going to see yourself improve if you just put in the time and effort. So my recommendation would be go for it. That's a good recipe for life, I think, right? Um, definitely not linear. Yes, Life absolutely. itself or anything that requires any kind of grit. Um, so you're at the Olympics, <laughs> right? You're doing, you're walking in. How's that whole, how's the aura there? Um, I remember it, I'm a huge soccer fan, so I remember the uh, the FIFA 2008 FIFA coming out and it was a different feel from all the other Olympics um, when it came to like the songs and everything and everything was obviously more Asian infused um, and you being born in Japan and sort of knowing more about that culture how was the whole over there or just give us a little bit of of us normal people give us a taste of what what it was like 
Yeah, so as a kid, I always um, watch the Olympics on TV, I think, as a lot of kids do. The Olympics are this year in Tokyo, so I highly recommend people to just watch it. Now you have social media, and you can watch it basically anywhere. But I grew up watching the Olympics, uh, watching the opening ceremonies, and being like, wow, that's so cool. Um, You know, watching Carrie Strug land that vault in 96, and... um, when I walked into the stadium for the opening ceremony, it's actually an interesting experience as an athlete to walk into the opening ceremony because 90% of it is waiting in like a separate location to walk in. So you're not actually seeing, and, I, and honestly, I've never seen the Beijing opening ceremony. I've never seen the whole thing. Um, because we were in a gym, all the athletes are just in a separate gym waiting. <laughs> to get into line to walk in um, for hours you're waiting there. It's like a long lunch line. <laughs> yeah, and they don't have, like, they didn't have TV screens or anything, so we're just kind of sitting there waiting. Oh, man. Um, but the walk-in was pretty incredible because you're walking through, like, a large tunnel, a uh, long tunnel, and it's dark, and you kind of can just, like, see the light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> and hear the crowd. Um, and I actually started like tearing up because it was such an emotional moment for me yeah. um, walking in. And I walked in with Ronda Rousey, if you oh, know her. Awesome. I've never heard of her. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, of course. She was my roommate at the Beijing Olympics. No um, oh, that's cool. So I was like, Ronda, I'm crying. And um, she's like, yeah, enjoy it or something. I don't remember what she said. But we walked in and literally, like, when you walk onto the track, it's like everybody's just cheering. You can feel the energy. Um, and every single person I looked at was smiling. Like, just, yeah, so proud and happy. Um, that's a really special moment for me, walking into the opening ceremony. Did you get to share some of that special moment with your dad? Did your dad go? Uh, my dad was there, but he didn't go to the opening ceremony in Beijing. Um, he has uh, coached at previous Olympics as well, so he's had the opportunity to walk into his uh, own opening ceremony. Wow. Uh, but he did watch me compete uh, in Beijing, which was also a pretty crazy experience because I drew the defending Olympic champ first round. Um, so there's a draw for judo mm-hmm. and... Uh, you get matched up with who you're going to compete against. And I got matched up with probably the most decorated female judo player ever. Uh, She's from Japan, Ryoko Tani. Um, And so I fought her first round and I lost. But I was really glad I had the opportunity to compete against her because I never had. Um, and I actually idolized her growing up, which yeah. is wow. which is weird competing <laughs> against somebody that you idolized. Um, but it was a good it was a good experience for me just because uh, it proved to me that I felt like I deserved to be there. Um, and I thought I put up a good fight. I lost, but I, <laughs> I gave it everything I had, which I think that's all you can do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That must have been a mind trip, you know, going against someone that you idolize so much. You watch them, you're probably really familiar with their style, and you're like, wow, now I have to find you. Yeah, yeah she had autographed, like, a, a poster for me when I was a kid, and I actually had it hanging, like, in my room growing up. Wow. Oh, and then she, insane. this was her fifth Olympics. She oh. has five Olympic medals. Two of them gold. She won her first much, first one when she was sixteen. 
and she was a mom and now I'm like I don't understand how she competed after giving birth <laughs> but yeah I had the opportunity to compete against her in the in her last Olympics my first and her last so that's crazy oh, that is amazing so going back to the the whole mom thing how has that presented new challenges how has that changed you and I bet it was just like a huge difference from you know judo to motherhood so kind of talk to us a little bit about that it was definitely a huge change I mean I I stopped competing in 2008 um, and I gave birth to my son 10 years later in 2018 so I did have 10 years where I dabbled in other things like kettlebell lifting and just doing all the fitness stuff I got married and um, but motherhood is challenging in a whole other way just because you have the responsibility to love and care for another human, which there's a huge magnitude of, of you know, you feeling that responsibility. Um, and as a mom, you know, you grow your child for nine months, you give birth. Just I, there were so many things that I gained so much respect for so many women I, that I did not have before I was a mom. And now it's like hats off to all moms out there because the job <laughs> is hard and we're all in it together. And I have a new appreciation for for being a mom and all moms out there that okay. I did not have before when I was an athlete. I was like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I guess I was thinking, oh, how hard could it be? <laughs> Turns out it's very hard. I told my husband, I was like, after, you know, giving birth I'm like that was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do in terms of even all my training which right. is insane oh, yeah. that I was like all women go through this right. in some straight or fashion yeah. Um, yeah I would say it's way harder than any judo training I've ever had to do is there any future aspirations for the young three-year-old to, mm -hmm. to, to pursue the what seems to be judo legacy of the family uh, well my husband is also a judoka um, so a judo player um, and so he's also a, he's also a fourth degree black belt so judo is in the family my my dad I have three brothers all three my, of my brothers do judo as well oh. so judo okay. runs in our family so don't mess with the tour. do judo for sure um, yes. but I think it's um, you know his decision. It has to be the the person's decision of how far they want to take themselves in the sport. And if he wants to just compete recreationally, I'm totally fine with that. I think he should compete. It's a good experience. Yeah. Um, but I'm not. I'm trying not to be a mom that's going to force <laughs> their kid to. You need to win every medal, or you need mm -hmm. to. Um, win all these championships or push your kid when they're really young. I think it's important for kids to have fun, especially yeah. when they're younger. Um, and if they want to take the sport really far, you know, that should be their choice because ultimately they're the ones that are going to have to put the work in to get to where they want to go. So they really have to have that inner, inner drive. But if he wants to get there, I guess we're, we'll support him. <laughs> he has to understand it's going to be a hard road. Yeah. But he's yeah, only three, so he doesn't he has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get less sleep competing in judo or when you had your son? That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's a toss up because I've spent a lot of um, jet lagged uh, times traveling around the world mm -hmm. and competing in tournaments with no sleep, but 
um, motherhood is a whole other beast too. So I don't know. It's a toss up there. <laughs> okay, here's another toss up. Do you get beat up more now with your son, <laughs> or did you get beat up more back then? Definitely more back then. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I I choose my opponents wisely now. They're yes. mostly like ten year olds. <laughs> Very wise. Well, we've been doing more um, outdoor judo. Because we haven't, because of COVID, we haven't mm -hmm. been able to be in in the dojo, which is crazy to me that it's been a year since we've been on the mat. Uh, but we're hoping to reopen in May um, in some capacity. Um, so within the last year, we've been doing outdoor workouts, and yeah. I joined in one of the workouts today, which was hard, but I try to you know keep up some level of fitness if I can. Today was a beautiful day for it too. Today was really was nice. Very, uh, yeah, well, it was really hot. Kind of hot, I would say, probably to work out, but <laughs> better than pre other days, and especially last week. So you mentioned you had three brothers, right? Mm -hmm. um, so are you the youngest? Are you the oldest? Are you somewhere in the middle? I'm the oldest. Okay. And I have uh, two twin brothers who are 21, and then my youngest brother is 19. So I All grow. I'm sorry. All good ages. I miss. Yeah, I they're they're in like the prime of their life, you know, yeah. just figuring things out. Um, but I've grown up in a family of all guys. Um, so you said you came from a family of I'm all women. Opposite, yeah. I'm completely opposite. Um, my husband, my son, my dad, my three brothers. So honestly, I'm used to being around a lot of men all the time which is it's okay with me i mean it is the way that it is mm -hmm. it is nice to have some female energy once in a while um i did start like a women's judo class at my judo club um because i think it's important for women to be in martial arts mm -hmm. um but yes my brothers are crazy <laughs> but they're they're awesome they're awesome people yeah i actually have three older brothers i'm kind of the oh. reverse so um, yeah, I was raised mostly by men, but I'm the, I'm the baby of the family, three older brothers. My mom was usually at work, you know, she had a business at the time, so my dad really raised me. So yeah, it d definitely gives you a different perspective, like you get, you really understand how, you know, uh, secretly sensitive some guys can be, but in a good way, or how gross they are, or just like how they really think, you know, like you have a really good idea. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, nothing yeah. really surprises me anymore uh -huh. of like what, you know, levels of cleanliness mm -hmm. or, you know, stuff that comes out of their mouth or things that they do. It's like nothing really surprises me anymore. and. I don't know. I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on, on my side, it's, it showed me to um, how could I see this to be <laughs> more clean. And I think, like, I think it just becomes it's just I, naturally now. I put down the toilet seat and everything like that. It's just have to live with it. It just comes to me now. I don't do it on purpose or anything, but no. yeah, I think I've had to deal with understanding that it's just gonna be left up you know you have to give and take yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know so it's, it's just accepting different mm -hmm. things but. so you also mentioned that you're from the bay area right so born raised from here mm -hmm. so how would you say that helped you in your judo career or even just outside of life you know meeting different people different backgrounds how, how has that helped you really 
Well, growing up in the Bay, I think, um, is a really unique experience uh, because there's so many different types of people. There's so much diversity here um, that I think you really take it for granted. Mm -hmm. um, when you start to travel outside of the United States or even just California or even just the Bay, mm -hmm. you start to realize that things look a lot different than they do here in the Bay. Um, and I always enjoyed coming back home from wherever I was coming from. I was like, thank God, I'm coming home. Um, but just being even raised in the United States and then going to other countries gives you real, a real appreciation for what we have here uh, in the U.S. I always um, was amazed that people in other countries uh, traveled a lot to South America, Dominican Republic. Um, I've been to uh, Tunisia. I've been to um, Kazakhstan. That was a crazy experience. Oh, man, I bet. Um, yeah. But traveled all around the world and... It always amazed me how people had so little, but they were so happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it really made me appreciate what we have here just in the United States that I think a lot of people take for granted. Clean water, you know, the fact that you don't have to take water with you. I mean, we had to sometimes travel with water to drink and brush our teeth with. Hot water. Hot water. No. Yeah, I mean, floors that are clean. You know, I've spent nights in hotels with cockroaches and um, sweltering heat. I mean, today, like today, we were at the park and some kids were like, oh my gosh, it's so hot here. It's like 80 degrees and they're just dying. And I'm thinking, I've been in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, and competing in like hundred degree weather, no air conditioning. Humid as can get. Humid. You're you don't even need to warm up because you're already sweating, right. putting on your gi, which weighs five pounds in and right. of itself. So, um, just things like you know air conditioning in your car. It's a it's a luxury. Totally. So. Um, can I touch upon the cockroach thing that you said? <laughs> All sure. right. So just to put things into perspective. This, let's just say this is the United States cockroach. This is everywhere else. <laughs> like, they're so much bigger for some reason outside the country. <laughs> I'm from El Salvador, so like I've, I've dealt with just oh, supernatural whole-sized cockroaches. <laughs> and they're not the same. They hiss at you, and they're just oh. different kind of beasts. You see some crazy things. Yeah. Um, my friend and I went to uh, American Samoa one time for a judo tournament. There were uh, straight up boars, like wild pigs. Those are dangerous. Walking down the street, just it was crazy. Just experiencing those types of environments and cultures, and um, Kazakhstan was another place where uh, people. I got there and they're like, "You don't look American," which was kind of like just <laughs> really discriminatory. <laughs> I'm not right. sure what that yeah. means, but they looked at my passport and they're like, "You don't look American." Because I was Asian, and but I spoke English. And you said, I forgot my flag. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and they, but they're, they're Asian, but they speak Russian. So it was a very interesting, mm -hmm. you know, you go to these places and they're like, you're, you're Asian, but you speak English. And then mm. they speak, they're like blonde haired Asians that Probably speak does. Russian. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's so trippy. But, right. um, just having those experiences of traveling all around the world really made me appreciate living in the United States and just understanding different cultures and how people live. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. What's the most pleasant place that you've been, you know, while competing? Uh, I really liked France. France uh, was, I'd like to go back there. A lot of these places I went um, I didn't have the opportunity to sightsee. It was kind of like a go in, compete, yeah. 
get out. You don't really have, it's not a vacation. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd really like to go back to France. Um, Egypt was also really cool. I went there for the 2005 World Championships, had the opportunity to go um, like inside the pyramids, which is really, it's pretty amazing when you're standing there looking at the pyramids and you can actually um, go inside, like crawl inside and look around. Um, So that was another that was another cool place that I was able to go to. Since you're saying that you would go and compete, um, you know, just go and compete really fast, it would happen. Um, like how many would you just be there days at a time, weeks at a time, or less than that? Um, definitely not weeks. The only tournament that we went to where we spent longer time there was actually Beijing. We got there for the Olympics um, about a week out, and then I was the first day of competition there, so. I had like a couple weeks after to just hang out. So I was there for about a month. Mm. But most of the time you get on a plane on like Wednesday, you get there Thursday, you weigh in like Friday or Saturday and then you're out the next day. Mm. So it's really rigorous schedule. You don't have time to adjust to the, um, you know, acclimate or anything like that. You just come in, make weight, compete, get out, come home. Yeah. yeah, or. And then speaking of that, of that, of the rigorousness, rigorous and uh, rigorousness, and all your two days and and all that stuff, everything that you had to sacrifice. I'm sure you had to sacrifice a lot. Is there any advice that you would give the younger Sayaka that the present Sayaka knows now? Mm, I would give myself a lot of advice. One, stop stressing out. I think actually I should give that advice to myself now too. Stop stressing <laughs> out. Um, enjoy the process. I think it's easy to get caught up in the results and um, putting so much pressure on yourself, but really enjoying the process of working out and and doing judo and competing and traveling. Um, Also, I wish I knew more about better diet and things like that. I think I eat a lot better now than I used to, uh, just because I know more about nutrition and things like that. Um, But those are those are pretty much it. Okay. So that's not much. Then you then you pretty much did it the way you wanted to or the right way at that time. Then yeah, like. I'd say I have not that many regrets when I look back Very cool. on uh, my competitive com- career and what happened. Um, I think that maybe I I regret a little bit not training hard enough for the two thousand four Olympics. I could have been a little bit more disciplined, and maybe I would have made that team, but. Um, for 2008, I I think I did a little. I think I did as much as I could. So it sounds like you had to build up a, a lot of grit for that alone. Because I mean, if you compete, I mean, if you you try to get there for three years, like you were mentioning, you don't make it. A lot of people would get super discouraged and not want to try it out again. But the fact that you were like, no. It's, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to make it happen. And you made it, you know, the following um, Olympic trials, you know, that says a lot about your determination and, and things like that. Yeah, the window of opportunity to make an Olympic team is very small. So uh, in 2004, I was uh, 22, turning 22 that year. So I knew that I had another four years which would make me 26 that year, 25 in the Olympi- at the Olympics itself. But so I knew I could push my body for another four years. If I had been 25 and didn't make it, to push it to 29 is 
the longevity in the sport, um, especially at the lighter weight classes, is a little more challenging just because you rely a lot on your speed and um, it's hard to maintain like a lighter weight when you, as you get older. So um, you don't see very many 30-year-olds, definitely no 40-year-olds in the sport of judo competing at that level. So I had to make a choice of whether I would stop or try it just one more time. Mm-hmm. And I decided... Why not? One more time. I can do one more time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I think any athlete, even at the recreational level, can can somewhat understand that. I mean, from one year to, to another can be a huge difference. Um, I mean, I can't. I can't go. It seems like two or three months without something going wrong. You know. Um, so I, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of athletes out there that can. I can vouch for that. I mean, three years of putting your putting your body in, in that intense um, state—it's got to be crazy. You must have not even had like much of a social life during undergrad because you couldn't really enjoy it. You couldn't really do the things like go out with friends and stuff because you were just so focused and you couldn't drink the night before because you had practice most likely the next day and, <laughs> and like things like D. that, right? <laughs> D goes right into the drinking part. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had I had some fun in college, but definitely, um, you know, when I stopped competing in judo is when I kind of got to lead what I would call a normal life mm-hmm. of a normal person, as in having friends and going out to dinner and being able to go out. And it took a long time to kind of acclimate to that new lifestyle mm-hmm. because I was so used to being on such a regimen of training and making weight and eating certain foods and um it was at, when you've lived your life like that for so long um with that mindset it's a very hard transition you can't just snap out of it in a day or a month i think it was a period of several months where i really grappled with you know not feeling guilty about eating ice cream or mm-hmm. um going out and having fun and not caring about if I'm going to, you know, wake up late or not get enough sleep. Um, I even still struggle with that now in terms of sleep. Like I like to get enough sleep to feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a very hard transition. People think, you know, even if you go to the Olympics and you win a gold medal, um, there are a lot of athletes that deal with um, depression and serious Mm -hmm. mental health issues after coming out of competition just because you spent so many years of your life trying to attain a certain goal and whether you attain it or not that period of loss is real and there takes um a period of transition to um go into like normal normal life after that yeah that normalcy he went from grappling on the mat to trying to grapple a whole new lifestyle at that point exactly Mm -hmm. it was really challenging i mean you know you kind of are like what do i do Mm -hmm. i have all this time and what do I do with my life? I mean, I get a job and I gotta, you know, there are these realities that you have to face. You got yourself a husband. Yes, I did. <laughs> Something you gotta do, that's off the list. Yeah, um, but it, 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 it is a hard transition. It's really cool though that you, you still incorporate it into your life, you know? That's, I feel like that's such a luxury too, you know? like. It's, it's so cool that you get to pass it on to your kid and, you know, your your dad is very involved with it. Your family's involved with it. You can go to competition. So, I mean, that's really cool that you get to do that for sure. Yeah, I really, mm-hmm. um, I haven't had the opportunity to um, 
devote that much time since I've had, I mean, I've devoted limited time since my son was born. Mm -hmm. But before my son was born, I was traveling and being really, really involved with the dojo in terms of um, taking kids to tournaments because so many people gave so much of themselves to me for really nothing in return to get me to where I got to. So I have really uh, no problem paying it forward in terms of if I could instill some of the lessons that I've learned or um, impart some of the knowledge that I've received through judo. Mm -hmm. If I can give that to even one kid and maybe change their life or you know affect them for the better, then I have no problem doing that. And it's not about the money for, for me, I think, or anybody else at our dojo. That's 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 awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, we're um, we're getting to our finishing point here, folks. Um, one of the things that I think I drew from this episode was, uh, you know, you get knocked down, you get up again, but you're never gonna keep me down. <laughs> but was that Chumbawamba? <laughs> I think that was Chumbawamba. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, we are wrapping up here on the FOF podcast. It's usually where we give out our shoutouts, Sayaka. So um, we usually go down just down the row. Um, Leslie, did you have any shoutouts that you want to give out for tonight? Yeah, so shoutouts to family and friends, Suki, that was actually on the YouTube um, chat roll. So shoutouts to Suki for tuning in. Um, and thanks to uh, Moving Forward for having me on the show today. Um, I've been working with you guys for a couple weeks now, and it's exciting to be on the mic with you guys. How do you like it? How do you like Nsalo? Let's just go ahead and go there. <laughs> since he, since he's not on the mic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys have been great. Cool. Well, I mean, we're, we're more than happy to have you here, dude. You helped us tons. You helped, helped us tons already. So don't be, you know, she'll be on the mic again, I'm sure, um, tonight. It was a perfect night for her to be on the night on the mic for the first time. And D, did you have any shout outs that you want to give out tonight? Yeah, shout out to everybody in this room. Shout out to any women in combat sports. It's not easy, especially Sayaka, you know, for sharing some knowledge. We got a lot of gems out of this episode. And um, yeah, that's pretty much everyone I want to shout out. Cool. I um, want to shout out Nate. Nate Tora. Um, I want to shout out the whole family, EBJI, East Bay Judo Institution. I want to shout them out. They came out in full effect tonight. So thank you so much for participating and commenting on the um, on the live chat. Um, it shows your unity, um, and that's exactly what Sayaka was talking about. So, you know, you can physically see it. And I want to shout out a special person, um, and Samuel Ramirez, which is behind the mic tonight. Uh, not sorry, behind the boards tonight. Not on, not behind the mic. Uh, usually you see him behind the mic, um, but tonight he's gonna. He uh, chose to help out on the boards, so we greatly appreciate you, sir. And uh, lastly, I do want to say that this Saturday, actually every first Saturday of the month, we have a hiking event. We start at eight p eight a.m. I'm sorry, we're gonna do 10 a.m. Uh, this time out um, at Alvarado Park. You can find that information on our IG or Facebook at Moving Forward 510 or on my IG channel. Uh, I'm sorry, my IG is called the J channel, so you can find more information on that there. Um, so please join and you can receive this cool, let's try to get a close up, hat pin. All right, that looks better on a hat. <laughs> so that's that's what we're trying to trying to do. Just a little token of our appreciation for you guys participating in our events. Now, the lady of the night, the star of the night, Sayaka, did you have any shout outs that you want to give out? Well, a shout out to Moving Forward. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was really fun to talk about my experience. 
And of course, shout out to the EBGI family. I see Abby and Gina and of course my husband, Nate. Um, my family, I think my dad might have been tuning in. I'm not sure if he figured it out. Um, but um, thank you so much for your support. And um, I look forward to doing it again. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Nate, thumbs up right back at you. Now, in summer, could you please hit those credits, mute the mics, and we're out. <laughs>